Welcome to the Life Changing Principles Podcast, where we take a new principle every week and explore how it changes our lives. I'm Leanne Hunt, ready to jump into today's principle. Today we're talking about religion and resilience. I had a really interesting phenomenon in my limited experience so far with my Harvard degree that I'm working on through their extension school. It's online classes and they're in psychology. And I've noticed some interesting things. First of all, Harvard was based in a religious background when it began. It began way back in the 1600s, has Puritan background. And right now today, they still have a divinity school. So religion is one of the basic things that people come to study there. A great number of people who attend Harvard actually have a religious belief or a religious basis. I looked up some statistics for Harvard and I found that actually for Harvard freshmen, two thirds of them are virgins and the other third aren't. I thought you'd find that interesting. 40% have never tried alcohol before they got to school. Most of them consider themselves liberal and the majority are religious. 22% Catholic. This is from the 2017 incoming class. 22% Catholic, 20% Protestant, a half a percent Mormon, almost 10% Jewish, 2.5% Muslim, 1% Buddhist, 2.5% Hindu. And then there were 14% atheist and 18% agnostic. And then another 9% with, with other religions. So the majority of people who come to Harvard have a religious belief. They have a religious background. And so when I attended classes there, there was this open respect of individual views of religion. It would come up sometimes when we were talking about, for example, in my resilience class, there was actually a segment on the research behind religion and resilience, but there was also people's individual religious backgrounds that they brought with them to the course And they would talk about it sometimes about how it affected their resilience and how it just affected their whole approach to their lives. There was this open discussion of both believers and others who did not believe in God whatsoever. And no one seemed to have a problem with holding both an academic and a religious view in their minds at the same time. In psychology, historically, I know that religion has been seen as a weakness, as a crutch for weak-minded people who need something to hold on to. And that's the way it was framed for a long time. But researchers today are looking at how people use their religion in their lives as a motivating force, as a resilience factor. We read an article about research in religion and resilience, and we found that really most of it is really positive. Religion makes you a more resilient person on many, many different fronts. But there was some really interesting things about problems that religious people do have that sometimes makes them less resilient. And I wanted to take a look at those for just a minute. They listed four problems in the article. The first one was demandingness. The expectation that I need to succeed at everything that I do that everything, everyone needs to approve of me and that life must go the way I always want it to go. And that seems unrealistic, but sometimes that can happen when we have a religious belief. We think things should go our way. There's the second one was exaggerating how bad things really are when they don't go well. There's this big exaggeration of, ah, things are so terrible. 
And then it just, of course, makes people feel worse and makes them less resilient. The third one is a low tolerance for distress. They just can't stand to not have things go the way they thought they were going to go. And then the last one is condemnation, blaming themselves or blaming other people. And I've been thinking about how these non-functioning beliefs, how these things that are less frequent, so they don't happen as often, but how they might be developing to make religious people occasionally less resilient. One possible path of how these beliefs might develop goes like this. So we're young and we're going to church with our families and we hear these lessons of being good and these stories about people who are good and how well it works for them. And generally we get the idea that being good, number one, gets you the long run reward of heaven. Number two, it helps other people and actually does some good on the planet. And number three, it is seen as good by other people, your parents, your teachers, maybe your minister. We all want to belong to our community and we all want to be a part of it, a part of something. And we want to be seen as a competent contributing member. And so when we're young and we are absorbed into this environment, we try to be good. We don't have a developed sense yet of really what that is. And so in our efforts to be good, we copy the stories that we hear. We also take a moment to declare to our parents and teachers, I'm going to be good. This is the kind of person I want to be. Or I would choose this the right way in this situation, which earns us praise by declaring our loyalties and our intention to be good. But sometimes the stories we hear with the miracles and kind of the tidy little bow at the end where everything works out in the end, gives us this misconception that if we work hard to be good, things will always turn out in the end. We mistakenly believe that because we've chosen the good side, that things will work out. That's how it works in the movies. The good side always wins. We imagine what that looks like. And then when normal life hurdles present themselves, we somehow feel cheated because wait, we chose the good side. This isn't supposed to happen to me. We're the good ones. We're the good people. We're the ones who go out and serve everyone else. We're the ones who try harder. So we have all together now these stories with tidy packages that turn out well. We have this moment of decision to be a good person and then the praise that follows that. We have choosing to be a good person and then putting effort toward it and then creating this expectation of an outcome that's going to go well. And then we have this concept of miracles, which creates a desire to sometimes maybe remove the work. Like somehow if I were a good enough person, then a miracle would come in and rescue me from, from this situation that's difficult right now. So it all starts out with this desire and efforts to be a good person and to meet God's expectations. But that's what can sometimes turn into an expectation that because I'm the good one and working hard, my life should work out the way I want it to. I must always be successful and everyone should approve of me because I'm the one who's over here choosing good. When things don't go well, that's when those four things happen where the people exaggerate how bad it is, or they have a low tolerance for frustration, telling themselves, oh, I just can't handle this, or it doesn't go well and it doesn't turn out the way they expected and God can't be wrong. So it must be my fault or maybe someone else's fault. Maybe I'm not good enough or maybe it's there to blame. And so those 
four different ways of approaching it with those mistaken beliefs aren't resilient. I find it interesting that in the article, they talked about a therapy called rational emotive therapy, where a therapist can actually work with the religious fundamentals and background of the person in order to help them see how their beliefs aren't helping them. They'll use, for example, a, an example of Jesus who worked through frustration rather than having everything just work well the first time and seeing some of the difficulties that he faced to help them see that it's normal to face difficulties. When you think about this small example or this smaller percentage of how things can go awry, it's interesting to then look at the larger percentage to see how things go well, to see how people put in their efforts to be good without tying themselves to the outcome. People who put in efforts to go out and help others, which creates some social capital, which creates some skills, which creates more resilience and practice in their lives. When we understand the way life really works, that everyone suffers, but also hold in our minds at the same time that God is in the details of our lives, it makes us more resilient when things don't go well. We can look for the brighter side or the lesson to be learned for what's happening. We can look for action steps we can take to get through this because we trust that God is in the details of our lives, but we also trust that we're going to learn something from this difficult situation and that it's intentional, that there's a purpose to the difficulties and adversity and suffering that we're going through. So the bottom line of religion and resilience research is that religion is a protective factor toward your resilience. Thanks for being here and taking a little time out of your busy life for personal development. I applaud you for that. We take change one step at a time. You're already on your way. You're already enough. You've got this. Have a great week and we'll see you for the next principle.